What's up, citizens of Apologia? This is King Ginger, and I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you all to sign up for Apologia All Access. When you sign up for Apologia All Access, you're going to get exclusive on-demand content. This means that you and your entire family are going to get to watch every single TV show, every single after show, and every single Apologia Academy with new content dropping every single week. But most importantly, your contribution helps Apologia Studios create quality Christ-centered entertainment that reaches millions of people on our YouTube channels and through our podcast with the gospel. So what are you waiting for? Change everything at ApologiaRadio.com. Non-rock-a-boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional. Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. (laughs) She hung up on me. What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got got a bit of a jiggle neck. (laughs) That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when they're not. How's it going? What's up, man? We just got back from the Mormon Temple in Mesa, Arizona. We did. It's 10 o'clock at night here. That's right. How you liking the Mormon Temple now? I, It's it's a lot more action now yes, than at is. Christmas. Yeah. I, so. I, I was so looking forward to Marcus uh, getting his first taste of uh, the Easter pageant uh, at the Mesa Temple in Mesa, Arizona. It is significantly different and bigger, and uh, we flew the drone over the amphitheater tonight. It was kind of neat. And you got some skills too, though, because like I never even knew that was happening. Yeah, we like, we we were covert. Maybe we should call you the ninja. Kid. We did it kind of low too, because there were helicopters flying over. Oh so. man, that scares me so was much. Scary. <laughs> call you t- King Ninja. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we're involved right now in what we uh, do every year. We absolutely love it. I've been doing it since 1996, and that is uh, we go to the Mormon uh, Easter pageant. Uh, Over 100,000 people show up uh, over about two weeks uh, to attend this Easter pageant, this uh, show, this production the Mormon Church puts on. It really is uh, an opportunity for them to reach into the community and uh, proselytize. So there's Mormon missionaries everywhere. I mean, it's just really, really big. Uh, next week's even bigger, Marcus. I'm talking like there's a sea of people. It's it's absolutely incredible. So it's a great opportunity. And uh, tonight we had about, uh, I think you put all the kids together. We had about 13, 14 people from Apologia Church uh, out there uh, witnessing and handing out tracts with the gospel and uh, critiquing Mormon theology. So 
it's a huge gift and it's a blessing. And, and what I wanted to do is uh, I came back to the studio to get some more work done. And uh, Marcus came in and I thought, hey, let's let's bless some people with what we did recently with Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson. Now, if you guys are part of Apologia All Access, you uh, get to see all this stuff and uh, goes up on the NRB network. I've already watched it. Yeah, it's already you've already seen it. Yeah. Uh, but we want everyone else to get a chance to get a taste of it. And so you get to actually see the episodes, the TV show and the after show. If you have our all access, that means you partner with us in ministry. It's $7.95 as a, as a donation every month. And you get to get all the additional content and you make all this possible. But we wanted you guys to get a chance to, to see, to hear it. And so what we're going to do on today's broadcast is we're going to actually release that audio so you get a chance to listen. And uh, it's really cool because a lot of the things that we talk about in this conversation with Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson um, relate to a lot of different issues, not just with Mormonism, um, but they really touch some fundamental issues related to the Watchtower and Jehovah's Witnesses and Roman Catholicism. I mean, they kind of the discussion can flow in and out. Um, and so we want you to hear it. We think it'll really, really bless you. But before we actually play it, um, I want to talk to everybody about some stuff that's going on that you absolutely can participate in and serve God together with us in ministry. Uh, first and foremost, Reform Con is coming up June 1st through 4th, happening here in Tempe, Arizona. Dr. James White, John Sampson, myself, um, and Scott Oliphant, we're doing teaching and, and some more. Uh, it's just going to be a blast. We're going to have a lot of fellowship, a lot of really cool teaching. And so you come on out, get your tickets and get your plane tickets, get a carpool going. Come on out, hang out with us. We're going to eat together. We're going to fellowship. We're going to learn. We're going to have a lot of interaction with the speakers. Um, that's happening. However, the thing I really want you guys to be thinking about right now is something that just happened. Let me just tell you this right now, guys. God is doing something something so big right now. It is humbling and scary scary yeah um and in terms of there's a real fear of god thing kind of washing over me on a regular basis right now um when we did the interview with tony lounger the vice president of national right to life it created a bit of a controversy a healthy one and a good one um and a lot of people were waking up are waking up and let me just tell you this for those of you that are even critical of calling out inconsistencies in the pro-life movement maybe you you know you didn't like the fact that we did that let me just say this to you even if you disagree with us with um, the fact that we are calling out those those issues as hypocrisy and uh, as inconsistent and in many ways cowardice um, we'd like you to continue to hear us out but you need to know this what God did through that interview is changing the world and I, I really mean that um, that's a polite way of putting it. We can't tell you right now. We can't tell you everything right now that's that, that's happened as a result of it. But let's just say that there's some phone calls um, came in from um, some very important people uh, and particularly a very important person. The president? Uh, no. No, not quite. Not yet. He hasn't repented yet. No. Obama hasn't called you hopefully, and said. Hopefully soon. Hey, you know what? <laughs> that was it. That's what did it. Yeah. I wish. Um <laughs> <laughs> but let's just let me just tell you this. Even if even if you're like, oh man, you call out the pro-life movement, guys, God is using that in His providence and power to do some amazing things. So I want you to go to a website. I can't believe that we own it. I can't. Uh, <laughs> well, if you listen to the interview, you kind of can. Yeah, but I I can't believe that it, nobody bought it before. It's so simple. The website is End Abortion Now. Easy enough. End Abortion Now. 
abortionnow.com. Endabortionnow.com. Go to it. You'll see the countdown clock is up there now with Luke uh, with a sign. Uh, the the end is now. I think it says. Um, the end is now. Yeah. But right as of right now, the date as of right now, and I'm pretty sure it's firm. Okay. But as of right now, the date is April the eighth this year. April the eighth. We are going to live stream an event with some very special guests for a couple of hours. The event itself is going to be built in such a way to explain the biblical position, what do we call abortion, and why, how should we engage this issue, answer, with the gospel and the biblical worldview, and we're going to have some constitutional experts and some very, very important people that are going to speak on this issue as to how we approach this issue in our states with the gospel and the biblical worldview to end abortion in our states, speaking specifically to the legislators um, to end abortion immediately in, at the state level um, as an issue of criminalize, criminalizing it. We're talking about the same kind of thing that happened in Oklahoma, SB 1118. And let me just tell you right now, all of it is in the works right now. But we're going to live stream the event for the world to see so that you guys can all watch, get your churches together, get your groups together. Watch this because you're going to see what we're putting together to do it at the state level, okay? And so get everyone together, watch this with us, and you can join with us in your own states to do what we're going to be doing here in Arizona. So it's End Abortion Now. Com. Please check it out. The clock is there. It's running down as of right now, April 8th. Um, I think we're set at about 5 p.m. start time, but we're going to tell you the details. If they change, we'll let you know. Um, but as of right now, it's the date. So start getting everybody ready. If you have abortion mill ministry in your area, please get your team together and please join us for this this live stream. We're going to do it through YouTube, right, Marcus? Yeah, it'll just be a YouTube live stream. Okay. Uh, and it's at bad time so okay. far that's what the clock set down to okay and when that clock runs down the live stream should start okay so, so guys this is really big and we're putting everything we've got into this and we I, th- I think it's gonna be an amazing resource when all said and done yeah for every state it'll be an action plan for every state and we're gonna cover the legalities of it we're going to have uh information that state local lesser magistrates yes can use to be comforted in the decision to yes. end abortion yeah. and uh you know ultimately like it's like what we've been talking about today is like you know this you know colorado everybody always talks about well the supreme court but colorado uh threw their fist in the air to the federal government when they passed marijuana legislation. Right. And Oregon did the same thing. Yeah. So. And that was for Bud. Right. So for marijuana, it's totally okay to defy the federal government. But when babies are being murdered, we kind of freak out. Right. The court <laughs> battle has to happen, guys. And if abortion's going to end, it's going to end first at the state level. Someone has to have the courage to stand up and stand up for the lives yeah. of these babies. And it's got to happen at a state level first. Uh, we can't wait till five Supreme uh, being justices um, say, okay, we agree. We got to work at the state level. And somebody has to be courageous enough courageous enough to do it. Yeah. And, and Alabama, just one more thing. Alabama just defied the Supreme Court this week with their... Uh, is that true? No, that really happened. I, I saw conflicting stuff. Is Did you? True? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm, that's great. That's it's awesome. I hope well, at so. least with Tennessee, uh, the attempts are being made, okay. right? Yeah. So, so like, we see it with homosexual marriage. 
We see it in Alabama. There, there's attempts being made all over the country to defy the tyranny of the federal government at the state level because that's something you can do. Like, it's not out of the ordinary for our government. That's what our government was built on. Yes. Without those protections in place. And we've just so lost in our mind that the final word is a Supreme Court, and it's not. There's yeah. there's ways to go around that, too. So. Yeah. And, speaking, and speaking on behalf of the babies... God tells us to hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. I think that's our duty. Remember, it was uh, Francis Schaeffer that said, over the door of every abortion clinic in America is a sign, and that sign reads, by permission of the church. It's up to the church to stand up together, unified as the body of Christ at every state level, prophetically speaking the truth of God's word into the culture around us, and uh, encouraging people to take courageous stands uh, for these babies in their lives. Remember this, guys. Just please think about this. The number, the statistic that's often quoted is 3,000 babies a day, okay? 3,000 babies a day are pulled apart, have their skulls crushed, are, um, are burned uh, with chemicals, are destroyed by poison. Um, that's a day, every day, guys, every single day in our nation, 3,000 die like that and um has to stop and it's only going to stop when the church says enough and speaks the truth standing on the rock um i want to say this about the event okay i we can't give out all the details yet that's right because we're just waiting on final confirmation on specific things but i really i truly believe that once all the details are out and once this event is over and said and done that this is a very historic moment for the church. I agree. Because with you. like, what's about to happen? And like, we can't say everything, but what is about to happen? Now we're doing it in three weeks. It's going to be rushed and put together because it's that significant. It has to happen right away. And I think this is if this is not the thing that starts the that ends abortion in America. This event right here. If this is, doesn't set it off. It'll, I think it'll, people can look back and say that's kind of what ignited something later down the road. Yeah. So and this is going to be a huge event. I think people really need to start sharing the website, the hashtag in abortion now. That's ours now. Yes. <laughs> so the website in abortion now.com, in abortion now. We're going to have t shirts. I was talking to Luke today. Yes. The t shirts, we're going to, I mean, it's going to be like that's going to be the thing now. Yeah. Um, and so I'm excited, man. Me too. Me too. I'm speaking at the event. Yes, you are. Um, and, and you're and hum- speaking at the event. We can say that. Yeah, I'm humbled by it. I can't believe God's doing it. Yeah. And um, I just feel so grateful that God is is using using what He's put together here to get all this out into the community, the body of Christ nationwide. So I'm just uh, absolutely grateful. Hey, by the way, Marcus, uh, I want to give you some encouragement. There was a gentleman that showed up at the Mormon Temple tonight, a believer. Um, who used to go out with Alpha and Omega Ministries, Dr. White, uh, to the temple many years ago uh, while I was there as well. And he's been watching our stuff, and he's really encouraged. But he came, to, he came by just to say hi tonight. You met him, Don, right? Yeah. So we're in the middle of talking about this abortion issue. You know what he says? What? He goes, yeah, I watched this movie uh, uh, on YouTube, Babies Are, are Murdered uh, Here. And he goes, it was amazing. I was like, well, that's Marcus right there. That's his movie. He was like, no way. <laughs> And that's so, awesome. Yeah, praise God. All right, guys. So that's what's up, guys. Keep us in prayer. Please pray for us. Please, please. Those are the weapons of our warfare right there. Prayer. This is spiritual. We need your prayer. Please, please pray for us, guys. Please. And uh, we're going to need you. And stand with us. Join, hey, guys, join All Access. 
because the all access is what's going to fund some of the major operations of speaking prophetically into the culture through media. Um, that's the truth. So join all access. If not for the content, join it to support us in this work right here because that's where it's that's where it's going. All right, guys. So we're going to introduce you now to the Mormon Research Ministry. Um, it is Bill McKeever, Eric Johnson. It was an amazing episode of Apologia TV and the uh, After Show. Wanted you guys to listen to them, to learn from them, share this episode, let people know how to talk to Mormons, and 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 let them know about what Mormon Mormons are going through now, and uh, how we can begin to engage that church even more than we already have in the past. And so right now we'll introduce you to the Apologia After Show with Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson. Here you go. All right, guys, we're back now. This is the After Show with Bill McKeever, Eric Johnson, Mormonism Research Ministry. Don't forget, while you're watching this show or afterwards, go to mrm.org, pick up some materials. I was just given a wonderful gift by these That's guys. Awesome. In their own words, a collection of Mormon quotations compiled by, by Bill McKeever. Um, this is really cool because we, we have not failed to bring where does it say that out to the Mormon temple every year since I've gone. It's been one of the greatest tools in my hands besides obviously the scriptures. Um, where does it say that uh, you also have at, at the ministry as well? Uh, photocopies of, of the original documents, history of the church, journal of discourses. Um, just it's fantastic. You get to see in their own words, Mormon prophets and apostles giving false prophecies, talking about doctrine. The King Follett discourse is in there and that's very helpful in terms of uh, pointing Mormons to what Joseph Smith actually taught about God, um, saying, uh, we've imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away and do away the veil so that you may see, um, denying that God has eternally been God. He became a God, One and, and uh, he says that eternal life is um, becoming a God, ultimately mm-hmm. one day is what he says. And so very helpful stuff. This is very helpful, too. Um, it's it's a, an encyclopedia yeah. of, of quotations and, and teachings from the Mormon prophets and apostles, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so we're glad you guys joined us here on the After Show. If you're watching this right now, you are part of our All Access, which means that um, you're part of our ministry. You make all of this possible. So we're grateful to God uh, for you and for you being a partner with us. And, and we're hoping that this this ministry and this material today really blesses you and, and, and I want to say a word here, not just in terms of increasing your knowledge of what Mormonism teaches and the origins of Mormonism and the history, um, but we hope it blesses you in, in that it gets you excited about reaching the Latter-day Saints with the gospel. Um, is it meaningful to engage in this kind of ministry? Absolutely. Let me tell you this. When you see a Mormon freed from the darkness of Mormonism, into a relationship of Jesus Christ, coming into a relationship of Jesus Christ, that does it. I'm in. I mean, seeing that happen and getting to know those people that have come to Christ as a result of this kind of evangelism, I mean, it's worth your whole life. It is worth everything that you've got to reach this community. And I think it's important for us as Christians not not to be afraid um, to build bridges, to get into that their communities and to, and to, talk, to talk to them. It's important for us to start engaging them with the gospel. I believe that Mormonism uh, right now is in many ways in its death throes. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. there are elements that, 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 you know, look like there's growth and there are other elements that you realize there's, there's even a mass exodus in many ways out of the Mormon uh, community. And it's important for us to be there 
uh, to bring the gospel to them so they can come to know Jesus Christ. Um, Bill, I, I am so excited about the gospel topic essays, the stuff you guys are doing. It's, it's, it's very, very important, and it's powerful. And I don't know what it is, Bill. I mean, I don't know if you felt like me. When, when I heard the gospel for the first time and came into a relationship with Christ, started engaging Mormonism, I, I just had this, this it, it's such an exciting history. I mean, it was so fun to engage them and, and reading about Mormonism and reading about Joseph Smith and his history was, it was so fun because it's in, it's such an, it's such an amazing story. I agree. It, it really, really is. And I haven't, I haven't felt that way about Islam. Um, I, I, I want to reach Muslims and learn their theology and learn their history, but something about Mormonism has always fascinated me. And uh, these gospel topic essays and you guys responding to them and providing resources is just, I know what I'll be doing. Let me just say that. Um, <laughs> and so you, you were finishing on the television show uh, talking about the translation of the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith peering into a hat and all the problems with that. You continue that conversation? Well, it's, it's the whole idea that if you look at a lot of the Mormon artwork, for instance, um, we like to show when we're speaking at churches a picture from an, an old Ensign magazine, which is a monthly publication that the church puts out for its adults. And it shows a picture of Joseph Smith translating the plates. And in front of him is the, are the gold plates, and he has his fingers on them like he's running his fingers across the Reformed Egyptian characters. Yeah. As if he's reading the Reformed Egyptian, and he's He's translating it from the Reformed Egyptian into English to a scribe that you can't see in the picture. But this is a common understanding that we find a lot of Latter-day Saints have because that's the way the artwork has always portrayed it. Mm. But yet we know, and when we read the story, that Joseph Smith also had these spectacles, this Urim and Thummim, as they call it, that Smith supposedly looked through at the Reformed Egyptian. And then from looking through it, they miraculously turned into English to him, and then he read off the, the English to the scribe. You don't normally see pictures of Joseph Smith with any type of spectacles in hmm. front of him, or the breastplate that held the spectacles. You don't see anything like that. You certainly don't see Joseph Smith with his face in a hat. In other words, this is a part of history, though it's accurate according to the story, but it's not a history that many Mormons are familiar with, yeah. because it's not talked about that often. Plus, the artwork tends to think, make you think it's not a part of the history. So you can understand why a Mormon reading these essays and hearing from LDS sources from their own church, and that's what's important, as, as you played earlier, Stephen Snow, who's a church historian, he is saying that the church leadership is behind this, even though they are all anonymous. And that caused some problems with some members in the beginning because the essays are not signed by anyone. We don't know who really wrote them. We mm. tend to know they were written by scholars, probably from BYU. I wouldn't mm. be surprised at all. Probably not by general authorities or leaders, ecclesiastical leaders in the church. But the fact that Stephen Snow in that clip says that the church is behind the essays, that gives them all the type of officiality that you would need. And as you mentioned, that is what has always been difficult, because when you bring up a book written by a Mormon leader, even, right. many times Mormons want to discount it and say, well, right. that was just Bruce McConkie's yeah. opinion. McConkie wrote a number of books while he was alive, died in the mid-1980s, but McConkie was very blunt, and I, I loved McConkie. I was, boy, I was 
sad to see him go because he just said it like he believed it. And I appreciated that. I rarely ever agreed with him, but at least he said it like he believed it. But a lot of Mormons in seeing that kind of bluntness would discount some of the things that were said as if, well, that's not official. That's just his opinion. I don't have to believe that it's not binding. Well, once you get a Mormon to start discounting his own history, that starts to work against them as well. Because what I often tell Mormons when they tell me, well, I don't agree with that. And I say, well, well, if you don't agree with it, why should I? Why would I want to become a member of your church when you can't seem to trust what your leaders have said on these issues? Why would I want to do that? So it doesn't really help them in that regard. But pointing to the essays are very helpful because the church stands behind them. And something we need to say, too, about these essays is it took them a while to come up with it. Why now? Well, because so many different people were leaving the church. Maybe, Bill, tell, tell them a little bit about the Swedish Rescue. Swedish, the Swedish Rescue happened a few years ago where a group of Swedish members were having a lot of questions, so much so that two church historians were diverted to go to Stockholm, Sweden and meet wow. with Swedish members and some of the concerns that they had. It was recorded. I don't think it was supposed to be, but it was recorded. And This thing just went crazy. Everybody was getting copies of the recordings. And it was amazing. A lot of what the Swedish members were concerned about are the same things we hear Latter-day Saints being concerned about in Utah, where we live. So it's not just isolated to one little part of the world. This is a a problem for the whole Mormon church. Mm -hmm. They're seeing these things, or I should say they're hearing or reading these Mm -hmm. things on the Internet. And they're going to their ecclesiastical leaders, like their bishop or their stake president or their gospel doctrine teacher, And these men don't have answers either. So finally, it gets down to, here's two church historians in in about a two-hour meeting, I think it was, and they're addressing a lot of these questions that these members have. And I've listened to this recording, I can't even imagine how many times I've listened to it, but I was not all impressed with the answers that these two had. And it seemed like they, they probably left that meeting leaving the members with more questions than they had answers. Wow. And we, we have a number of radio shows that we've done on that topic, but if you wanted to hear the actual transcript, That's what I was ask you. you can actually go onto our website, mrm.org slash fiery hyphen fireside. F-I-E-R-Y is fiery, fiery fireside. And right there at the very top are links to the parts one and two. It's hard to hear. You'll have to pay a lot of attention, but uh, you'll be surprised, I think, by some of the things that are said. Hmm. Well, one, one of the issues that came up, and it was one of the earlier essays, had to do with blacks and the priesthood, which, mm-hmm. of course, was a very controversial doctrine in, Mormon, in the Mormon church. It was taught by one Mormon apostle that if a member had one drop of Negro blood, and you have to understand he's saying this back in the 1950s, so the language is a little antiquated, but he, he remarked that if a member had one drop of Negro blood, they would be banned from holding the priesthood, which, is, of course, is essential for a Mormon male if they hope to become a god in the next life. Very controversial teaching. Well, what's interesting about this is in the essay, they basically throw Brigham Young under the bus. Wow. And they make it sound like it was just Brigham Young's prejudice, and that's what really got this thing going. Which, if you study the issue, you will find that there were numerous leaders prior to 1978, when the Mormon Church reversed itself on this position, to say that it wasn't Brigham Young. Leaders were saying, no, it wasn't Brigham Young, it was Joseph Smith. Now, 
I, I admit, I've never seen any primary sources from Joseph Smith where he taught a lot of the things that Brigham Young was teaching later on. But the point I'm trying to make here is that was not the argument they were using before 1978. Now when you read the essay, it gives you the, the idea that it was the typical prejudices of Brigham Young's time, and he was merely a product of his time. Of course, the question that I think should be asked is, well, wait a minute. He's supposed to be a prophet of God. Couldn't he kind of rise above the prejudices of his time? But yet it doesn't also really adequately, in my opinion, address the problem that it wasn't just Brigham Young who was teaching this, but it was all of the Mormon leaders clear on down to Spencer Kimball, the 12th president of the Mormon church. They all taught this stuff. And it, it was interrelated with how, human beings behaved in the preexistence. It's all intertwined. And, and Mormon leaders discussed this on a number of occasions, and they were often pointing back to the preexistence that in the preexistence, we had an opportunity to do things that were right. And based on how we did it would determine what kind of station, even skin color we would have when we were mm. born into our mortal probation here on earth. And so they would say, well, those who have black skin, they obviously were not as valiant as they sure. could have been in the preexistence when Lucifer, our brother, yeah. was fighting against Jesus, our brother, and trying to uh, take over the, the saviorship, if you will, of mankind on earth. And But the fact that it was all intertwined and it was pretty understood by a lot of Latter-day Saints during that time period, well, of course, now it's been well over 30 years, 1978, and uh, so... A lot of people don't know this. They've never read these things. And so reading the essays are probably very shocking for a lot of Latter-day Saints. Right, right. What? Brigham Young was was a bigot? Yeah. I mean, that's got to shock a, a lot of yeah. members, you would think. Yeah. And, and so this is why I think they're very valuable and very important because now as Christians, we don't necessarily have to point them to like mrm.org, although I think it's easier to find the essays if you go to our website. We have them all listed right there with links to them. But can you imagine when you can talk to a Latter-day Saint and say, you know what, I read this on your website, and we kind of walk through this together, and please explain a lot of this to me, because this is very troubling to mm-hmm. me. How, what's your response to that? And how is a Mormon going to discount this? Right. I can't say, well, that's just... They don't even know who to say it's their opinion because they don't know who yeah. wrote it. Who wrote it, yeah. But certainly the church is standing behind them right yeah. now. Wow. So. Wow. I'd like people to really be able to benefit from our discussion um, with some, some big ticket items. Okay, So um, you, you mentioned the book of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Man, that's big. That's real, real big. It is. Um, and so let's bring everybody into that because a lot of people maybe, not, maybe don't know um, the standard works and what Mormons hold to as, as um, you know, from God. And these, these are our standard works. These are, our, these are what we appeal to. So you have the four standard works. If you go to Deseret Books, a Mormon bookstore, you can get what's called a quad. It's a big fatty. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a big, heavy, fat book. I think uh, it's like 65 bucks minimum you're going to end up paying yeah. for a quad. Um, you've got the Holy Bible. You've got JST. the Book of Mormon, right? It's got some of the JST at the bottom. Yes. JST is a Joseph Smith translation. Um, he did change and alter the Bible. And you'll see those notes usually in the bottom there in a quad. JST, that's what Joseph Smith would either added or changed, took out, whatever. Um, uh, so 
Holy Bible, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price. Pearl of Great Price um, is, an, is, is a fascinating story. Um, Michael Chandler comes mm-hmm. through Ohio with an exhibit. The exhibit has all these amazing artifacts and Egyptian things, and uh, they had some papyrus. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, uh, Egyptian was essentially a dead language in North America. The contents from the Rosetta Stone hadn't made it over yet, and uh, so Egyptian was a dead language, and anybody could have said anything they wanted mm-hmm. about the language. And so Michael Chandler is is trying to sell these artifacts for some businessmen, um, and uh, he ends up hooking up with some members of the Latter-day Saint community, and they say, oh, our prophet can translate dead languages. And so Joseph Smith comes in, and oh, yeah, this says that, and this says that. And so the Latter-day Saints ended up coming to uh, coming together and bringing about a pretty substantial sum of money to buy this stuff. Right. And Joseph Smith says that this is the book of Abraham. Right. Is right? By his own hand. By his own papyrus. hand. Upon papyrus. Mm-hmm. And he went about the translation. Let me give you a background to that on a church manual. This okay. is a Pearl of Great Price student manual, Religion 327. We like to use a lot of church manuals because these are official. This yes. is as official as it gets. This is what they claim about the book of Abraham. The book of Abraham is an evidence of the inspired calling of the prophet Joseph Smith. It came forth at a time when the study of the ancient Egyptian language and culture was just beginning. The scholars of the 1800s had scarcely begun to explore the field of Egyptology, and yet with no formal training in ancient languages and no knowledge of ancient Egypt except his work with the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith began his translation of the ancient manuscripts. His knowledge and ability came through the power and gift of God together with his own determination and faith. Now, let's couple what that manual says with what the essay says. It says, the book of Abraham was the last of Joseph Smith's translation efforts. In these inspired translations, Joseph Smith did not claim to know the ancient languages of the records he was translating. Much like the Book of Mormon, Joseph's translation of the book of Abraham was recorded in the language of the King James Bible. That should right there put up a flag. Why, Why is God translating in the language of the King James Bible. Right. Why, was, why does he talk to ancient Indians in King James English? Right. It, makes, it makes no sense. But the point is, in these inspired translations, see, Smith doesn't know Egyptian, and so he's inspired to do it. What that basically tells me, and I admit I'm skeptical, but what it tells me is when you say that the translations were inspired it means Joseph Smith can say just about anything right. he wants if you automatically or already assume he's a prophet from right. God. So he can say just about anything he wants, and he does. He does exactly that. He got away with it with the Book of Mormon years yeah. earlier. Why not get away with it now? Because as you mentioned, there were no real experts on Egyptology in the United States at that time. The experts were over in Europe, primarily a guy by the name of Jean-Francois Champollion was one of the first. But still... Smith can say just about anything, and because they believe him to be a prophet and they trust him, then he gets away with it. And see, that trust factor, I think, is why we're seeing some problems with Latter-day Saints now. They trust their leaders, as they should. They should trust their leaders. But now they're seeing that the leaders are admitting to things that are bothering them, Mm -hmm. and they they sense betrayal Mm -hmm. by the leaders. Like, wait a minute. You knew, knew, you knew this all along, 
And yet we've been told in our local wards and such that these are just the lies of apostates and the lies of anti-Mormons. And now we're finding out that what the, the church has known this all along. And it's made them look foolish yeah. when they try to talk with people who are knowledge about this. Knowledgeable. And, and this is what's important for people that may not know the, the modern history is that when Joseph Smith said that he was doing the translation, he had the papyrus and he translated from it. And you even have records of him say, giving his own alphabet and you have records of this symbol here. And then right. he gives a translation. He didn't get a word right no. in, in the translation. No. And, and, no. And, and what's interesting here is that people have thought that this thing was destroyed. In, in a fire. And when people started recognizing stuff from the Pearl of Great Price in terms of the pictures and everything else, Egyptologists were saying, uh, I know what that is. Yeah. Kind of, but it doesn't look exactly like that, but that looks like it's the something different. I'm pretty sure I know what that is. And it's not what Joseph says that it is. It's not from Abraham. It doesn't come from the same time period. Sure. Well, what happened was, is at the time Mormon apologists were like, Hey, it's destroyed. It's gone. Nobody will ever know. You don't know what he was working off of until, 1960s. until the 1960s where it <laughs> reappears. Metropolitan Museum of Art. Correct. Uh, it is, it is such an amazing thing how it was discovered. Just a guy sees something and he recognizes it from a Mormon neighbor, and he says, I've seen that before, and they find it. Now, the Mormon church gets it back, mm -hmm. and they said, this is, this is it. Now, some apologists have said it's not, but yeah. that argument I don't think is even being used anymore, because one thing about the papyra is you, you know that Joseph Smith had a piece of papyra, and portion of it, a portion of it was torn, and so Smith, fills in what he thinks should have been there in that missing mm -hmm. piece, which of course has some very embarrassing yeah. picture. Okay. Yes. Uh, of, uh, that you wonder if he had the whole piece, how would he have explained this? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, he, he fills it in the way he wants. That's why it doesn't look quite the same, but you're right. It's a funerary text known as the 10 Sensen text or the book of breathings. And Egyptologists looking at this, well, that's not all that uncommon, you know, we're pretty familiar with these kind of things, funerary texts and such, but you're right. Smith gets everything wrong. He tries to tie it in with Abraham and all that, but there's just, there's no connection whatsoever. He completely fabricated a story mm -hmm. and he used that text as a basis. And at the time, nobody could check him mm -hmm. because it has, the information hasn't come over yet. And so people can't check him. Uh, we have it. And, and one of the things that's been fascinating for me to learn is um, many, many years ago, um, I was speaking to some, some friends um, and uh, Jim, Jim and Judy Robertson. Mm -hmm. Robertson. Uh, Jim's with the Lord now. Um, but uh, he was telling me this amazing story about how when he was a Mormon at the time and this text reappeared, he says it was all they talked about as Mormons. He said that if you had any meeting uh, that, that, that year, all anybody talked about was the fact that, look, we're vindicated. We're vindicated. We're going to show the world that he could translate dead languages, and he had the gift of a prophet and a seer. And then, what was it, about a year after the work? Yeah, it wasn't long after that, yeah. but all of a sudden it all came crashing down. That's right. And then he said, Jim and Judy both said that it disappeared. He said it was the, the main topic of conversation, and then it vanished from conversation. The church just tried to bury it. And which makes this whole discussion interesting mm -hmm. because now the church is addressing it. Yeah, they've had to because yeah. uh, 
if there's any one area that causes probably more concern for a Latter-day Saint, it would be the Book of Abraham. Eric and I, we, we volunteer at Sandra Tanner's bookstore, the Utah Lighthouse Bookstore, which deals with just the subject of Mormonism. And we get a lot of people coming in who are struggling with their Mormon faith or huh. a lot of ex-Mormons who come in and are looking for material to share with their, their loved ones, their LDS loved ones. And I often make it a habit to ask them if they come out of the Mormon church, what was it that yeah. started your journey? I'm curious, you know, cause that's, that's an area I want to zero in on if that's what's working. More often than not, it's the book of Abraham. Uh, mm -hmm. They started looking into the history behind the book of Abraham. They realized that Smith did fabricate this story, and yet he, he gives you the impression that he's really translating, because they use the word translation a number of times in, in this essay. Yeah. But it's not an, a definition of the word translation that most people would probably right. use. We yeah. usually use the word translation as going from one language and giving you a, a, an equal counterpart in another language, or at least as close mm. as possible. But, but see, Joseph Smith is able to get away with the 1830 Book of Mormon. He's able to get away with a retranslation in 1833 of the Bible, the Joseph Smith translation. So why not this? So he's able to take some of his ideas and move them into the mainstream. I, I'm looking at Abraham chapter 4 right now. This is very heretical, but this is what Mormonism teaches. This is what verse 1 of Abraham 4 says. And then the Lord said, let us go down. And they went down at the beginning, and they, that is the gods, organized and formed the heavens and the earth. And after the earth was formed, was empty and desolate because they had not formed anything but the earth and darkness reigned upon the face of the deep and the spirit of the gods was brooding upon the face of the waters. He's, he goes on, he's retranslating the first chapters of, of Genesis, Genesis and making into gods. Yep. So why do Mormons not have a hard time to say they believe in, in the existence of gods? They're not monotheistic. They don't have a problem with that because this is their scripture. But if Joseph Smith was a fraud in translating this, then why shouldn't he be considered to be a, a fraud for translating the Book of Mormon? The whole thing unravels. This is a very important issue. Yes, yes. And um, many, many times I've gone out to the temple in my little backpack, and I've got, where does it say that? My Bible, I've got also uh, by his own hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, I, and, and if I have the opportunity after an extended conversation, after talking about God and the gospel, I may bring that up. But I'm also very cautious about bringing that up first thing. Because I remember I was talking to a missionary at one point, and I was giving him the gospel, and I was showing him scriptures, and I brought out by his own hand, and I explained it to him, and I showed him, and he literally started bawling in front of me. He just completely broke down. And uh, so I'm, just, I'm very cautious about how I present it, because I want to continue the conversation with the person, but it is very effective, and it's uh, necessary for Mormons to start thinking about and for mm. Christians to start talking about. Uh, because you're right, uh, Eric, if, if, uh, if, he can prove, if he can be proven to be a liar and a fraud with the book of Abraham and his ability to translate from dead languages, uh, then there's no question about whether or not he could be in the Book of Mormon. And talking about Joseph Smith as a fraud can be very delicate. Very. Um, it, I, oftentimes people will say, well, if I just prove to them that Joseph Smith was a false prophet, isn't that where I should zero in first? And I go, well, you might want to be a little cautious about that because I'll give you an example. I was talking to two ladies out on the streets of, of Manti mm -hmm. during the Mormon miracle pageant one time, and we were having a great conversation. They were asking me questions, and I was responding to their questions, and we were going back and forth. Well, one of the women said something, and it made me think of something that Joseph Smith had said. So I started to tell them, well, you know Joseph Smith, and immediately one of the women looked at me, and she put her finger in the air, and she said, basically she said to me, don't say anything bad about Joseph Smith or this conversation's over. Mm. Well, I've got 
plenty to talk about. I don't have to go in that direction, <laughs> but I wanted to keep the conversation going. But see, when you start going after Joseph Smith, you've got to be very careful because they are very protective of him mm. in their mind. Yeah. It's kind of like a Muslim in Muhammad. You yeah. just don't do that sometimes. But by going to the book of Abraham, naturally it's connected to Joseph Smith's ability as a prophet to so-called translate. So you're kind of doing it in a roundabout fashion. You're showing there's some problems here. Now, who brought this problem to light? It would be Joseph Smith. So I think it's important that we get to that topic eventually, but you're right. It might not be something to do immediately, and you do want to be careful with how you present the information. I like to present it in a way where, you know, guys, I've read this stuff, and and I'm just very concerned. Because when I have missionaries come over to my house, and and they do have missions, uh, they have a mission in Salt Lake, of course, and one of the reasons that they're there is to get the inactive active again. But they'll Mm. come, come into the neighborhood, and, and I'll be talking with them, and they'll ask me, well, what do you know anything about our church? My answer to that is this. I say, look, without telling them everything, okay, I'm yeah. not going to go, well, I've written several books on the subject, I have a radio show, that probably <laughs> wouldn't do bit. a whole lot. But I'm not going to be dishonest with them. And my answer is this, you know, as a Christian, I think it would be irresponsible for me as a Christian to live in a Latter-day Saint community without at least trying to understand what my neighbors believe. Well, they hear that and they perk up and they go, oh, this is good. You know, we've got someone who actually can discuss these issues. And then I'll say, can, can I explain to you some of the problems that I've seen and maybe you can help me with them? I always want to be generous and, and, and try to let them know, look, I could be wrong in my understanding of what you believe. So show me, you know, correct me if I'm in error. Like when it comes to the, the gold plates and such, I'm having difficulties with this gold plate story. Maybe you can help me out with this. And I'm allowing them an opportunity to teach me what they've been led to believe mm. is true. And if I have information that contradicts this, certainly I, certainly I can bring it up, but I want to do it in, in a respectful manner and, and not hammering them in such a way that they can't wait to get out of my house. I had, uh, I had a couple missionaries coming to my house several times, and finally the last time they came, they said, well, our mission president said we can't come back anymore. I was really disappointed about that, and so was one of the missionaries. He says, I, I, I'm kind of sad about that because I've really been enjoying our conversations. I mean, I was challenging them on the Moroni 10-4 prayer, and I was challenging them on a lot of things, and they were actually, at least the one guy admitted he was enjoying the conversation. So that's a positive. Yeah. yeah. Let me give you an yeah. illustration of okay. how we can undercut Joseph Smith's authority without having to be mean-spirited or go right after the jugular. Uh, we, um, well, Joseph Smith himself said that uh, I have more to boast of than any other man has. Just that whole idea that he believed that he was such an important person. And yet when you look at his lifestyle, his lifestyle was immoral in many ways. For instance, the polygamy I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, so what we've done out at Manti, uh, there's a pageant in uh, a little town called Manti in the very center of Utah called the Mormon Miracle Pageant. So we like to go out there and evangelize. We've been doing that for years like you guys do here. Praise God. In, 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 at the Mesa Temple. And so uh, back in 2007, we were able to put together 34 ladies and girls and put them into pioneer dress, put a sign around their neck that told which of the 34 wives that Joseph Smith uh, had married, and it had a little bit of their story. So these they would dress up like wow. they were 19th century, and they just stood on the street. Well, in 2007, when we did this, a number of people were coming up very angry, saying, this is not true. 
I can't believe you would do this. Emma was his wife. They didn't know that mm. Joseph Smith was married polygamously. We did not do that again until this past year in 2015. We put 34 women together on two different nights. You know how many times people criticized us that way? Zero. Really? They knew. And they would walk by. Uh, they were able to engage the ladies, and some of the Mormons would, and they would try to witness to them, evangelize them. And then the ladies had an opportunity to talk a little bit about who they were. And, you know, we had, we had girls as young as 14 out there, my daughters and my wife participated in that as well. Very effective in, a, in an interesting way. We weren't out there just with signs and yelling at them. We just said, this is what it looks like, 34 women. And they actually, arms lengths away from each other, went half a block. And I think that really shocked a lot of people. Mm. I think there were people who saw that, and we were handing out tracts, and we, had a, we have a website, uh, josephswives.com. And so we were advertising that as well. And I think a lot of people who take a look at that a little closer realize Joseph is not the type of man many Latter-day Saints make him out to be. Yeah. And when you see a young girl as young as 14 mm -hmm. and you realize Joseph Smith at this time was in his late 30s, 38, yeah. that really has an impact on you. You yeah. start seeing how young they are. And when you have a chance to talk to a Latter-day Saint, I've done this and uh, talking to them about that polygamy issue, I says, really... What is so different between Joseph Smith and, let's say, Warren Jeffs, for instance? Because Warren Jeffs, well, he's anathema among yeah. Latter-day Saints. I mean, they don't like that guy at all. I don't blame him. I mean, he's an evil man. But really, think about it. Look at the similarity between these two. And Warren Jeffs being in his 50s marrying young women like that. Joseph Smith in his late 30s marrying young women. When they see the young ladies, it really has an impact on them. And when you see how many, especially, because we tried to, as much as we could, put the, put the different uh, ages in the right category. You know, we wanted them to see about yeah. how old they would have probably looked. Of course, they didn't look like that. But still, it, it was quite an illustrated message for a lot of people. Mm, powerful. It, wow. is, it is powerful. Very powerful. You know, and I think what's also, oh, sorry, Luke, go ahead. Um, well, I was going to change the subject unless you... Um, yeah, I was, I, you go ahead, because I okay. have something I want to say about just how useful it is to use their own information, but you go ahead. Okay. I was just going to ask, I mean, obviously I've, in the last eight years, have seen how outreach to the Mormons has changed drastically. So I was going to just ask you guys to talk about that a little, bit, a little bit, some of the changes you've seen. Obviously, it's mainly coming from their end, uh, how, how we need to reach them. So if you can talk a little bit about that, it'd be awesome. Well, as far as how it's changed, um, I, I don't know if the Maybe some of the tactics have changed over the years. We all have our little ways of doing things. Sure. Um, me, I'm kind of known at, at the Mormon Miracle Pageant as the old guy with the red wagon and the gold plates. I had a, <laughs> a set of replica plates made at a sheet metal shop. And so they're the same size that Joseph yeah, Smith claimed awesome. them to be, six inches by eight inches by six inches deep. And so I go out there with, with my plates and I challenge Mormons to lift them. Every Mormon knows the story of the gold plates. They know about Angel, the Angel Moroni, ah. he said he had gold plates, but they've never really thought about one important aspect. How heavy would gold plates really weigh? Now, mine are sheet metal. They only weigh 80 pounds, but that's okay because when they lift them, they realize 80 pounds is pretty heavy. Yeah. And yet Joseph Smith carried these things for a distance of three miles, jumped over a log, got in scuffles with attackers and stuff. But when, I, when they lift it, and I walk through all the things that Joseph Smith did, and I say, now realize what you lifted was 80 pounds. If these plates were made of gold, 
gold weighing 1,204 pounds per cubic foot, the size Joseph Smith gives us is one-sixth of a cubic foot, the plates would have weighed 200 pounds. Which means you have to take the plates that I have here, double it, and add another half a stack. Well, when they hear that, they realize, oh, this is a little bit hard to believe. Now, I've heard uh, a gazillion times, well, Joseph Smith was a buff farm boy. Okay, (laughs) I've heard that I don't know how many times. And I'll concede, he was probably a strong young man working on the farm, no doubt about it. But Joseph Smith could not have been that strong. No human being is that strong. Once I convinced them that no person has that kind of strength, then they'll say, well, well, don't you believe in miracles? Couldn't God grant Joseph Smith the miracle of being able to lift the plates? And here's where it gets really interesting. Nobody uses the miracle theory but lay people in the church. Mm. Mormon leaders don't use that argument. Mormon apologists don't use that argument. And I remember talking to one man out on the streets, and he was wearing a BYU hat. And I says, can I give you the best argument against the miracle theory? And he goes, yeah, sure, what? I says, BYU, and I pointed to his hat, because that's where a lot of these scholars are employed. And they don't believe that Joseph Smith used supernatural strength. They've come up with these, this really far-fetched theory that the plates were probably not made of gold, that they were probably an alloy called tumbaga, which is a mixture of copper, which is still a pretty heavy metal, copper and gold. But even then, you have to have so much gold in the mix or the metals will form electrolysis. And they would, be, they would decompose over all the years that they were buried in the ground as mm. they were. So you have to have gold in it. Well, they go through this big, long, elaborate excuse of, well, they were probably made of tumbaga. They probably were not perfectly flat, had a 50% air gap in between each of the plates. <laughs> in other words, by the time we get done explaining this story, the plates probably could have weighed as little as 53 pounds. So I explained this to the Latter-day Saint that I'm talking to, and I said, now, here's why I don't believe in the miracle theory. Why would your apologist go through such hoops to try to get the weight down to a manageable level if they thought it was a miracle? Mm. Let God grant Joseph Smith the ability to lift 200 pounds, and let's be done with it. Why do you have to get the weight down to 53? Is that all God can do? Come on, you know he could do better than that. But the reason why they do that is because they don't believe there was a miracle involved in this. Right. And I'll tell you something, in doing that, and that's kind of my shtick out there, I have really seen the countenance of Mormons, like, you know, really change. Like, sure. what do I do with this? Because if you get rid of the Book of Mormon story, you get rid of Joseph Smith as a prophet of God, because it's kind of like a circular reasoning. Yeah. How do you know the plates are, you know, are ancient scripture? Because they were given to us by a prophet. Well, how do you know he's a prophet? Because he gave us ancient plates. Okay. And uh, so this is a huge issue that we can use in talking to the Latter-day Saints. And the gold, the heaviness of the issue, I don't know if that's in one of the essays. I don't know if they really deal with that. But there have been a number of articles that deal with the weight of the plates. But I find in reading them, they, I, I don't see them ever using my rebuttals which kind of hurts my feelings. I would like, I would like them to start using my rebuttals and answering those because I haven't had Mormons really respond to those yet. We have about a half dozen videos on our YouTube uh, site on our MRM.org. You can go there and see Bill actually talking on the street like you will do yeah. out in Mesa and yeah. uh, very educational. Most of these videos are maybe 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. But if you want to know more about that, it's a great t- uh, tactic. And as Bill says, everybody has 
a tactic out at Manti, one that my friend Randy Sweet and I came up with a few years ago, deals with the heart of the issue, and that's salvation. And so we started to buy books at the Deseret Industry, a thrift shop in Utah, and uh, The Miracle of Forgiveness by Spencer W. Kimball. We actually were buying these, and for a lark at a temple open house in Ogden, I said, let's try to give these away, and nobody would take them. But Mormons, as they walked by, I said, free copy of The Miracle of Forgiveness by Spencer W. Kimball. Every Latter-day Saint ought to read this book. And a lot of Latter-day Saints would say, well, I already have read the book. And they'd keep walking. I'd say, how are you doing at what Spencer Kimball said you're supposed to do? And the number one response, well, I'm trying or I'm doing the best I can. And so so it it engages a a conversation. And and sometimes they would come back and talk. Oftentimes not. But And then we have done this at other temple open houses. I was out at Provo these past few weeks as they've had a temple open house. And I gave away very few books, but I got into a number of conversations by offering this book. And instead of having to deal with polygamy or God or these other important issues, don't get me wrong, if I'm going to have a 10-minute conversation, I want them to see that they're not doing what Spencer Kimball said you were supposed to do. He said perfection is an achievable goal. And he said trying is not sufficient, nor is repentance complete when one merely tries to abandon sin. So all your your excuses have no use for Spencer Kimball, who they always acknowledge uh, is a prophet who should still be believed. We should mention that The Miracle of Forgiveness is one of the few books that's been written by a general authority that more than once, I think at least two times, was recommended reading in a general conference message. Mm. Mormons were told that if you want to know what God expects of you in order to receive forgiveness, read this book. And they mention The Miracle of Forgiveness. That's a rarity. Mm. Now, the book is out of print in hard copy. It's still sold electronically. But as Eric says, a lot of Mormons are very familiar with this book. And the point is, is none of them are doing it. And that's what's interesting. When you're talking to a Mormon about what's required for exaltation, they all know what they're supposed to do. But I can't find a Mormon who's really doing it. So when I say to a Latter-day Saint, I've been studying this for over 40 years, and I've never met a Mormon who qualifies for exaltation. Maybe you're the first one. Can I ask you a few questions? <laughs> well, after about two or three questions, they're not qualified either. Oh, that's good. We, we have million-dollar bills we use, uh, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, but we made one for Emma Smith and on polygamy, and, it, it's, and josephswives.com is our website for that. We have a Spencer W. Kimball. Who's, he's from Arizona. Yeah. And uh, Spencer W. Kimball and themiracleoffforgiveness.com. So we like to use websites when you ask the question, how are things changing? We have found that a lot of people, if we have a sign up somewhere, will hit that. They'll look at, see what we have to say, but they would never dare come up and possibly engage us because it could be very embarrassing. Sure. It's like with the temple openings, we'll use sacredorsecret.com. Now, most people not familiar with what that does that even yeah. mean. Well, if yeah. you were to ask a Latter-day Saint, are your temple ceremonies secret? They'll say, no, they're not secret. They're sacred. So mm-hmm. we thought, well, let's use that as a URL. And it's something that's easy for them to remember. And uh, so those things are, are quite effective. But you're right. That's one way we've had to kind of switch it. And it's, it's funny when you hold a website sign, uh, Mormons will often call you a protester. 
Yeah, well, that's sure. just, that's what you run that risk. But so we have a quick response. So I guess if I was spending a pizza sign, I guess I'm also a protester. <laughs> you know, it's a website sign. All we're asking is just go on, log on, and read it. That's yeah. all we're at. We were outside the San Diego Temple back in 1993, and they we handed out a total of 178,000 newspapers, eight-page newspapers, wow. in six weeks. People took the newspaper back when I guess we were a newspaper generation. Now we go out at temples and at these open houses and at the Provo Temple open house, I probably handed out an average of three or four newspapers in a six-hour shift. But I would have my sign so the cars could see it, and I was getting usually between 25 to 35 hits. So I was actually doing better with the website than trying to get people newspapers. And I also had the Miracle of Forgiveness. So one way they would get the offer of the Miracle of Forgiveness on the way back out, I was able to try to get them a newspaper, but they're not taking that. So mm. here you go. And especially for the kids, mm. they're looking at that and they're, they may not tell mom and dad, but they'll go home and maybe look at it. And that's what we want. We've yeah. actually had more success, I think, with our kids handing out tracks. Oh yeah. yeah. Kids are great. Story. I, my kids, take from yeah. kids and they're great. Yeah. One time, Jeff's son, who's out front, he's seven, right? Yeah. He, he handed out he was going through handfuls of tracks. I didn't hand out one and he was standing right next to me. <laughs> yeah. There's just, it's taking every one of them. Yeah. Well, I think um, I want to have you guys uh, point people to what are some foundational books that will be important to start with. Uh, but I, I want to say what I think is really, really helpful. Randy reminded me of it during our break. Um, when We have a good friend, uh, Craig, that I've known since 1996. He was Mormon apologist. He's written articles, apologetics articles. You guys know Craig as well. You've met him doing your evangelism. Uh, so he gets around. Um, and uh, I've mentioned on the radio show before that Craig goes out to the temple. We go out to the temple. He's a Mormon. We're Christians. And we even go and eat together yeah. b- before we go yeah. out to the temple. He's there to oppose us. We're there to bring the gospel. But we have a loving yeah. relationship and friendship. And uh, it's always been so helpful for us to have Craig there, um, although he probably wouldn't like to hear this, um, because when we're talking to Mormons at the temple or at the outside the visitor center, we'll say, well, your church teaches this. And, and they'll say, well, no, we don't. And so, well, well, Joseph said it here and Brigham said it here and said, no, we don't believe that. And so it's helpful to have somebody that is next to us that actually is a Mormon in the church that teaches for the church. Even we'll say, Hey, Craig, can you come here a second? He'll say, yeah. And we'll say, could you let them know that it is true? Your church actually does teach this. And he'll say, yeah, yeah, we do teach that. And they'll say, no, we don't. He'll say, well, I teach in seven different wards, doctrinal classes. We teach that. And, and some people don't know it or believe it. He's like, but that's, that's what we teach. And, uh, and we'll be like, thanks, Craig. And then we can engage a little more. Um, but I think that's what's helpful about this right, stuff right. is that it's, it's, it's that kind of authority pointing them back to their own leadership and their own authority saying this is, in fact, our response. This is, in fact, what we say. Uh, and that's helpful because it's been my experience over even the last decade. And Dr. White is, has, has sensed and seen the same thing that more, the modern Mormon today is is not as engaged as as 1996 where they they would come to me and they would surround me and I would be in four different conversations at once trying to answer questions and they're opening their bible and they're saying what about this verse what about this verse and uh we don't run into that uh a lot right. anymore and right. um there's just kind of a cultural kind of disengagement in that respect well now they say they're christians yeah yeah they say we're christians you're christians true. you're fine yeah. we're yeah. fine you're fine and there was some of that before but that, even that has morphed because there was a time where they just referred to us as Gentiles and they didn't want to be called, no, we're not with you. You're not part of the church. We're the real church. And now it's just, you're fine. We're fine. You're good. Leave us alone. We'll leave you alone. Sort of a um, 
feeling. And so um, any, anything we can do to improve upon our ability to communicate with Mormons is important. So if you guys were to say, uh, you need to get these books, what would you say? Eric, what would you say? You mean as far as LDS books? Someone's or? starting, and they say, I want to reach Mormons. Eric, what are some books I need to read? I, we uh, actually did a 45-part podcast series on the Gospel Principles. Gospel Principles is a general manual from 2009, and every Latter-day Saint recognizes it. Okay. And I and the chapters are really short. It's a, about 45 chapters, and each, page, each uh, uh, chapter is about three to four pages. Real basic. I think... I think if a person were to look at that and understand what is meant by some of the uh, language we've talked about before earlier, you'll see some of that. And they're pretty clear, I think, if you study it well enough. And we went through and read between the lines on some of it, what they weren't telling. But I think that's a good general overall manual. Uh, easy to get. It's $2, I think, over at a Deseret um, store, um, mm-hmm. bookstore, or you can order it online. They want you to have those kinds of things. And another thing that Bill and I like to do is we like to stay up with their current writings. The Inside Magazine is a monthly magazine, and every May and November they have what are called the General Conference Issues. This, these are the two most important times of the year for a weekend where the leaders get up and actually speak Scripture what they say is supposed to be believed. Mm-hmm. And so we study that ourselves. We pay close attention to that. And then uh, we will oftentimes have podcasts on that because this is current Latter-day Saint beliefs. They are supposed to study those conference messages for the next six months. If they're supposed to be studying it, then I think we as apologists want to study that as well yeah. to find out if there are new nuances or things that are happening. Generally, it's the same old thing but different ways that they're saying it. And I think that can be powerful. So that's what I would say. And a good point about that, Eric, too, is a lot of people are under the impression that Mormonism is changing and coming more to an orthodox consensus. That's not what we're seeing. In fact, in the Ensign magazines, we're finding more and more traditional Mormonism being Mm. taught. The old-time stuff. Mm. And so it's not changing. So I don't know where people are getting that idea, except perhaps they're misunderstanding the words that they're using sure. thinking that they're defining the words the same way that's that could be part of the misunderstanding but we're seeing a lot of traditional mormonism being emphasized and 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 certainly in these essays they've been defending a lot of the things that they've always believed sure. i mean a heavenly mother they had a whole essay on that they didn't get into heavenly mothers which is what was believed in the 19th century right but at least they do admit that god is married in heaven and and there are parents in in the pre-existence now, you guys wrote a book, Mormonism 101, mm-hmm. which I found very, very helpful. So they can get that at mrm.org? You can. mrm.org. All right, guys. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Our Love you guys. Love your ministry. I want to encourage everybody that's watching right now, um, get to know these men. What a wealth yeah. of information and what a resource. I mean, uh, mrm.org. I mean, fantastic. If you guys, many of you guys came to know Apologia uh, radio and studios via our right. YouTube stuff, us talking to Mormons. Well, these are the guys that I would go to. Okay, so if you're like, hey, Jeff, you really blessed me talking to Mormons. Well, these are the guys I would go to to get my information, everything I need to do to get help. And so uh, mrm.org, that's where you guys want to go. Thank you guys for being with Thanks us in the studio us. today. Thanks and for having us. If I can just say real quick, I, we had mentioned uh, a lot of Mormon is, or Mormons are leaving in mass numbers. I think from what I've seen, a lot of them are not leaving and going to true Christianity. They're becoming right. atheists. Right. right. And that's why it's so, por- so important to get the gospel 
to your Absolutely. Mormon neighbors and, and, and friends because they're not becoming Christians. They're becoming the complete opposite. They don't, they don't want anything to do with religion at well, all. Well, you can understand how they right. felt betrayed. And at the, in Utah, there's a phrase that they use a lot. If the church isn't true, nothing is. Yeah. It's kind of a silly phrase when you think about it. But still, a lot of Mormons believe that. Yeah. And so if the church isn't true, then they're not going to go anywhere else because they've already had the well of the Bible poisoned. Right. And it's not to be believed unless it's been translated correctly or whatever. And you can understand why they go in that direction. Yeah. But you're actually absolutely right, Luke. That is a problem. And that's something that we often emphasize to people. When you're talking to the LDS people, don't just knock the props out from under them when it comes to Mormonism. Fill that vacuum with what the gospel absolutely. actually says. Absolutely. That's the Great truth. Point. That's the truth. Thank you, gentlemen. And thank you, guys. Make sure you guys let somebody know about Apologia Studios, Apologia Radio, Apologia TV. Let your friends know about the after shows that we do. I mean, this was awesome. Yeah. Think about what we can do as a church if we can get more believers involved in this kind of a fight. Um, it's, a, it's a huge community to reach. People think, oh, I'm going to train myself up, get ready to go, and go on missions trips over to Africa. Yeah, that's all important stuff, necessary. But you know what? You may have a lot of neighbor uh, Mormons that are in your neighborhood and uh, Mormons in your community that you can reach. They're right there. You can reach out and touch them, and you don't need to buy a plane ticket. Um, and uh, it's important stuff. And so let somebody know about Apologia All Access, uh, all of our um, uh, academy training, Dr. James White, me, our apologetics, John Sampson on uh, the Doctrine of Salvation. Um, just let somebody know. Thank you guys for being with us. Thank you guys for partnering with us. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time on Apologia All Access. <laughs>